0: This ministry and has been made available like like by the higgins my Bible Training Center, Nigeria. or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 080 765 761 <UNKNOWN> Well, uh, This is biblical prosperity class. It's a taster session. And um, I'll just do a brief recap of some of the things we said yesterday. And then we'll move on from there. Well, we began uh, yesterday by talking about the fact that we are redeemed from the curse of poverty. We went to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where the Bible says that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham may come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Thou might receive the promise of the spiritual faith. We saw that the curse of the law actually is threefold. The first part of it, spiritual death. The second part of it, sickness and disease. And then the third part of it is poverty. We saw that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of poverty. It's not a blessing, it's a curse. We also saw from 2 Corinthians 8-9 where the Bible says, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. We establish the fact that the basis of our prosperity is the finished work of redemption. We saw in Isaiah 53 verse 5, where the Bible says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That word peace is shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. It includes the word safety, welfare, wholeness, as well as prosperity. So the punishment that brought us prosperity was upon him. So through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he took away our sin nature and gave us his righteousness. He took away our sicknesses and gave us his healing. He took away our curse and gave us his blessing. He took away our poverty and gave us his prosperity as well. So it's God's will that we prosper. And we emphasize that faith begins where the will of God is known. Then we went ahead to look at qualifications for prosperity, qualifications for walking in prosperity. We said number one, we need to put first things first. We need to esteem earthly things lightly. We saw from Hebrews eleven, from verse 24 through to 26, where the Bible says by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So we are to put earthly things, esteem earthly things lightly. We're to put God and his word first. That's the first thing we said. Then we said, secondly, we need to be willing and obedient. We need to be willing and obedient. Obedient to God's word that is revealed to us. Obedient to God's plans and purposes for our individual lives. And then not only are we to obey God, we're to obey God willingly. And then we said number three, we need to get our thinking straightened out. We need to renew our minds concerning God's word about prosperity. As long as we think that money is evil, we're not going to have it. As long as we think, you know, that um, prosperity... You know, don't mind those prosperity preachers. Those are the people that have bastardized the gospel. You know, is it true that some people have merchandised the anointing? Yes, it is. Is it true that some people have pushed some truths to an extreme? Yes, it is. But you know, we don't throw the baby away with the dirty bath water. Because there's one ditch on this side, doesn't mean we should get to the ditch on the other side. God certainly doesn't want us materialistic. The love of money is still the root of all evil is still idolatry, but believe me, God wants us rich. God wants our needs met. There's nothing godly in not being able to eat three square meals a day, not because you're fasting, but because you don't have the money. There's nothing godly in not being able to pay your rent and then you're thrown out of the house. There's nothing godly in not being able to pay your children's school fees. There's nothing godly in not being able to be adequately clothed. Nothing godly about that. So you see, poverty is not good. Poverty is not a blessing prosperity is a blessing. Yeah, is it the only subject in the Bible? Certainly not. Should we push it to an extreme? No, we shouldn't. But we should preach a balanced message and which will include prosperity. Amen. Because it's one of the subjects in the Bible. He wants our needs met. Yes, he wants us to live a holy life. Yes, he wants us to know how to pray, how to do evangelism. He knows us, us to, uh, wants us to know how to believe God, how to... Uh, uh, present our bodies a living sacrifice, renew our minds. But this is also a part of it. So if we are preaching the Bible, we should also preach this because it's in the Bible. And we don't have to be apologetic about prosperity either. Amen. We don't have to. You know, there's a way you can get so careful that you're too careful. Amen. Amen. Look, it's in the Bible. Amen. And He wants our needs met. So after talking about qualifications for working in prosperity, we looked at our authority in the area of finances. Our authority in the area of finances. And we saw from Genesis 1 as well as um, uh, uh, Psalm 8 verses 4 to 5. How originally Adam was the God of this world. He was in charge. He ruled. He reigned. He called the shorts. Um, God didn't put all the wealth here on this earth for the devil and his kids. No, he put it here for his man Adam. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. The gold and the silver belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You see, the world and they that dwell therein, everything belongs to God because he owns it. But he gave dominion over it to Adam. Adam committed high treason, disobeyed God, bowed the knee to God's enemy, who's his own enemy, listened to the enemy, and then he forfeited his dominion and Satan became the God of this world. But we saw that that was just the first Adam. There was, and he is the second Adam who happens to be the last Adam. And we saw that through the work of redemption, Jesus defeated the devil. Jesus brought him to naught. Jesus stripped Satan of the authority that Adam had given him. We saw that there's an intelligence. You see, if we talk about prosperity and it's just about work hard, do this, do that, yeah, there, we should be diligent. The Bible says the hand of diligent will bear rule. Yeah, get something to do. Find something. Put your hands on something. The Bible teaches that. But listen, there's an intelligent being who knows that you are a Christian and who knows that if money comes into your hands, the chances are that it will get into church. And if it gets into church, there's going to be more money to do evangelism and reach the lost. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. So there's a force walking behind the scene to try to keep money from coming to the church, to try to keep you broke. The devil knows, you know, if you look good, Then God looks good He doesn't want God to look good Amen But the good news is that the devil has been defeated And through the use of the name of Jesus We've got authority over him So we looked at that yesterday And then we went ahead to talk about how um, Angels are ministering spirits And how they are sent forth to minister For us Not merely just to us But they are sent to minister for us And how they are waiting on us Praise God and how they hearken to the voice of God's word. And we certainly should give voice to God's word. And when we do, those words spoken in faith get those angels to do what they uh, want to do for us. What they are assigned to do for us. Praise God. And one of such things is in this area of provision. And then we ended the class yesterday by talking about uh, the Bible way to release faith. We saw from Mark eleven twenty three that faith is released with words through the mouth and the fact that we can have what we say we said this that if you talk about the lack of finances it'll stop the money from coming in if you keep talking about lack you're going to have an abundance of it we saw how our words could be stout against god how sometimes some folks they say well they say we should serve god i'm serving god they say we should give i'm giving say we should tighten, i'm tightening no i don't have anything to show for it everything nothing is working fine Well, as long as you keep talking like that, nothing is going to work fine. Jesus said, he that has, more will be given to him. He that doesn't have, the little he seems to have, will be taken from him. So you see, let's speak in line with God's word. The word of God says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The word of God teaches us that faith calls the things that be not as though they were. So you can talk abundance in the face of seeming lack just like you had to talk healing and health even if you feel sick in your body you had to call the money in amen you had to call the money in we had to keep speaking in line with what the word of god says yes we ought to give but don't let it stop at just giving speak god's word i give and so it's given to me good measure pressed down, shaking together, running over, men giving them a bosom. I sow bountifully, therefore I reap bountifully. See, that's how we're to talk and how what we say is very important uh, to our financial prosperity. You see, your faith could be strong in the area of living a holy life, but your faith is weak where healing is concerned and weak where prosperity is concerned. And then you live a holy life where you could be broke and you could be sick. Your faith could be strong where healing is concerned, but it's not fed where prosperity is concerned. And you may be healthy, but you're broke. And your faith could be strong where prosperity is concerned and weak where living a holy life is concerned. You know, God wants us to feed our faith on the entire counsel of his word. And that includes prosperity. Praise God. Let me tell one story that kind of fits in into... Uh, our last lesson yesterday. Camp meeting 1979. Well, camp meeting, Kenneth Higgin Ministries camp meeting is starting next week, this coming Sunday, actually. It'll run through to Friday. 1979 camp meeting, Monday night. Brother Higgin came up. He talked simple message from the same text I started uh, the last session with, Mark 1123. You know, and he talked about the fact that you can have what you say. And then towards the end of his teaching, he said, what if so, that someone told him, what if I was to say I'm going to get 10 million oil wells? He said, well, that's over on left field. God didn't promise you 10 million oil wells. And even if you got 10 million oil wells, what are you going to use them for? You know, then he said this. He said, so I, I'm not believing God for 10 million oil wells. Then he said, you know what I'm believing God for? I'm believing for a million dollars. He said that. I'm believing for a million dollars. Said this week, someone is going to give me a million dollars. Now, he wasn't talking about for himself personally, he was talking about for the work of the ministry, for Rhema, to train students and all. So he said that. Now, Pastor I Adiboe happened to have been in that committee meeting. He said he was there. He heard the, the man when he said that that someone is going to give him, before that week is out, a million dollars. And all the money is going to be used for the ministry. He heard that. Well, Thursday night, as Rhema tradition is, is Reimer Day. So Special offering was taken for Raymond, And there was a man who said in that meeting that he was going to double the offering. Yeah, that whatever everybody gives, whatever the total of the offering comes to, he will personally... I listened to that message. That message, where Brother Higgins said it. I listened to it. I used to have that tape. I still have that message. I have it in MP3 format now. But I had the tape, you know. And um, that Thursday night, the man said, I hope you give a million dollars. said, because... If you do, I'll double it. Whatever you give, I'll double it. The offering that night came to 999,000, very close to a million dollars. And that man gave a million dollars. Pastor Deboe said that thing made an indelible impression on him. He said he saw it. He was there. He heard when the man said that. He didn't put any pressures on anybody. He didn't whine anybody. He didn't use um, uh, high-pressure tactics or any of that stuff, but he saw it come in. You see faith in God's Word works but you see brother Higgin will say this that when he started believing God he took all the faith he had to believe God for $150 in a week now he is able to believe you know after how many years 60 70 80 after about 30 years 29 years he believed God for a million dollars in a week and it came in you see start where you are keep feeding your faith Keep exercising it, and what's going to happen, it will grow. Now, today, I want to talk about, you know, usually there are two sides to a coin. I want to talk about another side of faith for finances. That's what I'm going to talk about today, another side of faith for finances. So, before we get started, what about having a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you because of another opportunity to study your word. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light It gives understanding to the simple. I ask that you fill us with the knowledge of your word concerning this subject of prosperity in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That we might walk worthy of you unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That we'll be strengthened with all might according to your glorious power on all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. We give you thanks for it in Jesus name. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Someone said Deuteronomy is dethrone your enemy. No, it's not. You know, just kidding. It's the second giving of the law. There was Exodus. So, this time, that generation had been wiped out. There was another generation now. So, Moses was recounting some of the things that God had said to them in Exodus. He was saying it to this other generation. Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, let's look at verse 18, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18, it says here, it says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day, Amen. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. Why? For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. It is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. He was saying, look, God's going to prosper you. You guys, you're going to be uh, so provided for. Well, make sure you don't forget. You don't forget God. And you don't forget that he was the one that brought you the power to get this wealth. Amen. And why? So that he may establish the covenant that he swore to your fathers to give thee. You know, when they were coming out of the captivity in Egypt, God told them to ask of uh, the Egyptians, to ask of them. Well, the King James Version says to borrow, but really the word is actually to ask, you know, of them, items, gold and silver and all. And they did. And God gave them favor in the sight of those Egyptians. That's why right Psalm five verse 37 says that he brought them forth with silver and with gold. And it says, And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So God brought them out with a lot of possession. But what was the reason? God was going to establish the tabernacle of Moses, where uh, they were going to come and worship God, the sacrifice to, uh, to offer sacrifices to God, you know, establish a worship of the only living God. And a lot of money was going to be used for that. You see, Miles Moro said this. He said, When purpose is unknown, Abuse becomes inevitable. If there's one area where that is so true, well, it's true in every area, but if there's one area where that is very true, as well as in other areas, it's in this area of prosperity. If the purpose of us prospering becomes lost, then there's going to be abuse. You see, why does God want us rich? Is it so that I can oppress my neighbor? You know, all those guys that made fun of me. All those guys that called me names. I will show them, say, I don't have You know. Someone I saw one prayer. One, one person said, the person said, like they said, God, make my enemy live long so that they may see your goodness in my life. Now, that's not a good reason to want your enemy to live long. You should pray for your enemy. But look, it's not, we're not, it's not a call for show. It's not, you know, let me show them. It's not, let me oppress them. It's not, uh, let me prove a point. It's not even, let me line my pockets so that when I come out, I have one ring, uh, uh, one gold ring here, one diamond hair, one uh, silver hair, one I just have rings in my hand. You know, maybe you're a lady and then you just have... Sh- bangles and then you, when you come in you're shororo, shororo. you know and then we just begin to sing anywhere you're around because they're uh, you know look the purpose of prosperity is not so we can line our pockets with money the purpose of prosperity is not so i can live in a big house and drive a big car even though your big house doesn't intimidate god You know, heaven, there are... He said he's going to prepare mansions. So big house doesn't scare him. Big cars don't scare him. Are you listening? Yeah, but that's not the purpose. What exactly is the purpose of prosperity? Why does God want me rich? Why do I want to be rich? You know, God sees our hearts, right? God sees our motives. Why am I giving? Am I giving just because I want to get? Now, if I give... In line with god's word will i receive i will amen but am i giving just because i want to receive am i sowing just because i want a harvest remember that paul said in first corinthians chapter 13 and in verse 3 writing under the inspiration of the holy ghost he said even though you know if i give all my goods to feed the poor are you listening all i have everything i have i give it out to feed the poor and in fact I give my body to be burned. Burned at the stake. You know, that's some sacrifice. You don't think so. And he says, if I do all that, and I don't do it out of love, that is not going to profit me anything. Not in the life that now is, knowing the one to come. Are you listening? So many times, we are hindered from receiving our harvests because our motives are corrupted. There was one time, somebody came to Rehmer, The person talked about how he had one old car, Ramah USA, and then um, he gave out that old car. And when he gave out that old car, you know, someone gave him a brand new car. And then you know what some Ramah students did? They gave out their cars. And you know what happened? They walked the rest of the school year because they had no car. And then they said, look, I he, he gave his testimony. He gave his own. Me, I gave my own. What happened? Well, why did he give his own? Did he give it just because he wanted to get? No. He did it in obedience to God. He did it based on conviction. You know, Hebrews 11:29 says, By faith, the children of Israel, they passed through the Red Sea as of a dry land. Right? Which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Moses got before the Red Sea with the children of Israel. There was the Red Sea in front of them. The Egyptian army was coming to recapture them. One side was mountainous country. The other side was wilderness. So they were trapped. They were edged in. Then they cried to God. And then God said to Moses, stretch forth your rod. Go forward. Divide those waters. So what did Moses do? He acted on God's word. He stretched forth his rod. And what happened? The Red Sea parted in two. And they walked over on dry shore to the other side. Now, the Egyptian army, they came. And then they saw some people acting on god's word right so what did they do they acted based on those people's actions now if suddenly you see a sea you know become dry land and you see a wall of water here a wall of water there you ought to think twice about stepping in you know but they saw some people acting and then they acted based on their action and you know the rest of the story They, they died you see there's a difference between acting in faith Based on persuasion. And acting based on imitation. Yes, the Bible says you should not be slothful. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. The Bible says you follow the faith of them. So we can follow people's faith. But their faith is not just an action. It starts with a persuasion. It's based on a fellowship with God. Are you listening? That's what it's based on. It's just like some people have heard of how oh someone came to give you a testimony they had this terminal condition they were meant to be on medication they threw away the medication and then they stood their ground on god's word and then they were healed and some people have thrown away their medication too and they have died are you listening don't act based on someone else's action build a persuasion of god's word in your own heart so you see we need to know why god wants us to prosper why should i prosper why does god want me to prosper now this we know, we know that our example, our perfect example, the model son, the model minister was Jesus Christ. Right, he's our perfect example, he's our perfect model, he's the one that we are to follow. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sat sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Colossians 2, it says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk ye in him. In 1 John 2, he says that we are to walk even as he walked. First John 3, we are to walk even as he walked. So he's our perfect model. Now when we see Jesus' life, a few things immediately come to mind. Was Jesus extravagant? He wasn't. Was Jesus ostentatious? Did he live in, you know, just all gold? everywhere. Was, was he that kind of a person? No, he wasn't. He wasn't excessive. He wasn't flamboyant. He wasn't extravagant. But we do know something. He was prosperous. He was rich. All his needs were met. All the needs of the ministry were met. He had a, a, a treasurer who happened to have even been a thief. You know, that's quite some faith Jesus had in that guy. And he left him there as his treasurer and he knew he was stealing money. And he still left him there. Amen. You know, he had 12 mouths and by extension 12 families, including his own, that he catered for. Right? He had people that ministered to his need, the, their financial needs as a ministry team. You know, when they needed the donkey. You know, he was prosperous. When, you know, he needed to feed the 5,000, there was supply. When he needed to feed uh, the 4,000, there was divine supply. When he needed to pay the temple tax, there was God's miraculous provision. So Jesus was prosperous. Jesus was rich. He was able to do what God called him to do. So, why was Jesus rich? Why were his needs met? What was his purpose? If we see, we see that he was rich. He was prosperous. We established that yesterday. He was. Now, if we know why he was rich, then we can determine why we should want to be rich and why God will want us to be rich. So why was Jesus rich? What was Jesus' purpose? If we make his purpose our purpose, then we'll be provided for like he was provided for. Turn with me to John's Gospel. I know you probably can quote it, but it won't hurt reading it. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And in verse 16. And 17 It says, "For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life." Seventeen says, "For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." John 10:10 says, "The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy." said, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 1 John 3.8 Whosoever committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. John 6.38 I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So, Jesus came, his purpose was to destroy the works of the devil. His purpose was to make redemption available to mankind. His purpose was so that we might receive the life of God and have our spirits recreated. And because that was his purpose, you see, it was said of him in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 the bible says he went about all galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people Matthew 9:35 says he went about all their cities and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom healing every sickness and every disease among the people so you see that was his life's assignment That was his life's assignment and because he was pursuing his purpose there was provision for him to pursue that purpose you see we all have an assignment that we are on this earth to fulfill but you see all those assignments culminate around one thing and what's that one thing world evangelization that's it that's the bottom line that's the bottom all of it Is centered around one thing. How the lost can be reached. How the lost can be reached. How the work of God can be pursued. See, that should be our purpose for prosperity. Of course, by the time water passes through a pipe, the pipe gets wet too. Don't you think so? So as God is, what God can get through you to someone else for the gospel, he may not be able to get to you. Do you understand what I mean? Of course, as he's getting it through you and it passes through your hands, you're also impacted. But you see, we must get to the place where we want to prosper for the right reasons. We, want to get to the, we must get to the place where we see, God's, we see God's view of this thing. You see, money, prosperity is not an end. should never be seen, that, seen as an end. Rather, it's a means to an end what's money money is a tool it's a tool that's how god sees money it's a tool a tool for what a tool to reach the lost a tool to reach the lost so that must be topmost in our hearts that must be central in our perspective that must be how we see things this thing is about getting the gospel out it's about reaching the lost. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 5 verse 7 that the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and he has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. The Bible now says be the patient therefore, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So why hasn't Jesus come? Why has he not come? Why? Is he waiting for every Christian to become a mature Christian? No. The day Jesus comes, there will still be some people that just got saved. So there will always be baby Christians in the body. Yes, I know, the body of Christ in general is to come to mature manhood. And that will happen. But you see, why hasn't Jesus come? Is he waiting for every church to have the right church government? Is that why he hasn't come? Every church won't have the right church government. I can guarantee you. You know, Why hasn't Jesus come? Why? There's only one reason he hasn't come. For the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. You see, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says that God has redeemed from himself out of every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every tongue, every people group. So we know that there's going to be representation from every people group in heaven. So, if there are some people, groups that haven't heard the gospel, Jesus is not coming yet. We are keeping him. We are delaying him. We are delaying his coming. So, you see, that's how we are to see prosperity. It's for the purpose of getting the gospel out. It's for the purpose of God's work. Brother Hagin talked about one time, I was on the healing line, ministry to one man. The man had some trouble with his hand. He said, the Lord led him to ask the man, Why do you want to be healed? The man said, so that I can continue playing tennis. Now, of course, God wants you to play tennis. If you like tennis, it doesn't hurt God that you play tennis. But uh, what about having a more noble reason for wanting to be healed? You know, the man didn't get healed. You see my point? Okay, I want to be rich. Why do you want to be rich? Well, so that... The things that I suffered. (laughs) If you know the things that I suffered. The things that I suffered. And that's some people's motivation. The things that I suffered. What they showed me. That uncle. Hey, he must take. I must show them. I must show them. I must oppress them. Those are not very noble reasons to want to be prosperous. And you know, you know you can't fool God. You know you can, you can fool me. You can fool somebody else. But we can't fool God. He knows our hearts. He can read us like a book. Amen. So sometimes we need to adjust some of these things in our own hearts. Our priorities. Our perspectives. Our motives. You know you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And God sees your motive. And instead of getting a merit for it, you get a demerit. In instead of being rewarded for it, you get rebuked from him. Amen. So the purpose of prosperity is for the purpose. It's for the reason. It's so that the world can hear the gospel. It's world evangelization. That We must see it like that. We must see it like that. Okay, you know sometimes... Let's say a church is doing a building project, and there's nothing wrong with a building project. In fact, we will be doing a building project soon in Ramah also. So nothing is wrong with building projects. I'm not against building projects. I'm for building projects. But you know something? You can do the building project, and your motivation could be, yeah, I want to have the finest building in the whole place. I want to have the finest church in the nation. I want to have the finest this. I want to have the finest that. You see, we are not competitors, right? We're co-laborers. If we're not careful, we still get back into that motivation thing. Why do you want to have a good building? And there's nothing wrong with having a good building. It should be because of the people. Because of the value we place on the people. We want the people to have a decent place where they can worship God. So it's about the people. You know, you can use people to build your ministry. And everything is about your name being projected, about your ego being projected, about your influence being expanded, you know, about your call being pronounced all over the place. What about rather using your ministry to help the people? Not using the people to promote your ministry, but using your ministry to promote the people and to build the people. You know, sometimes if we're not careful... And we can slip into some of these things without even realizing it. If we're not careful, we use people and we love things. We are to love people and to use things. You see, God is about people. God is about people. God loves people. You know how God sees the unbelievers? Fulani herdsmen inclusive. Those kidnappers inclusive. Those Boko Haram people inclusive. He calls them the precious fruit of the earth. Some of us see them as the scumbags that you should kill and get out of the way. Now, of course, if people persist in criminal activity, the law should take its toll, isn't it? No doubt. But what I'm saying is this. We are to see these people, see the unbelievers the way God sees them. A soul is a soul, Amen. And God loves them like he loves me. Like he loves you. He loves the world. God so loved the world. Is it possible for somebody to love God and not love people? It's not. You can't. The way you show your love to God. The way I know my love for God is how I treat people. Praise God. So what's the purpose of prosperity? World evangelization. No, Romans 10.13 says, "Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Then 14 goes on to say, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they are not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Then it says, How shall they preach except they be sent? Now, of course, people can be sent. There are different senses of people being sent. People need to be sent under the power of God's spirit. People need to be sent who know the word of God and know what to go and do when they get there. But also, let me tell you something. It takes money for people to be sent. It takes money. Okay, this is Raymond Bible Training Center. Where? Training people. Right? The fees that the people pay is just about a third of the actual running cost. So, the balance has to come from somewhere. It takes money for the gospel to to go out. It does. It does. And that's how we must see it. And if we see things like that, if we make reaching the lost our big priority, and we, you know, do you know that there's enough money in the church for the gospel to go around the world over 15 times? That money is already in the church. That money is already in the church. When we understand that the purpose is world evangelization, you think again before getting some extra luxury. Now, God doesn't mind you having luxuries. God doesn't mind you looking good. But when we have our priorities right, and when we understand that, the reason God wants us to have these resources is so that the work of God can can proceed. You see, the unit of the universal church actually the local church the local church should be strong about reaching its community should be strong acts 1 8 says but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth so God wants us to reach our Jerusalem your immediate neighborhood your Judea well a wider uh, locality that you're than you're in. Amen. Your Samaria. Yeah, those folks that are different, that are not necessarily our kind. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. See, God's plan, what is God doing in these last days? I'll tell you. He's building strong local churches. He's building strong local churches. And He's teaching them to flow in the supernatural. See, God is strong about the local church. God is very strong about the local church. And he's building strong local churches. And these local churches should have at the center of their mission to reach the lost. To reach the lost. It should be something we are strong about. Reaching the unreached. Getting the gospel out. Believers come. They can get fed. Ministry gifts were given. For what purpose? for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Yes, those are three things. But we could also see like this. Ministry gifts were given for the perfecting of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry and as a result, the body of Christ can get edified. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So, that's how we must see it. It's about world evangelization. Once we have that settled and we have that clear and we are we're clear-minded about that. Then, our motives will stay pure. You see, this is the thing about, about um, covetousness or about materialism. One thing I can tell you ahead of time is that things can never make you happy. You see, Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Verse 6 now says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Notice that the Bible says, we should let our conversation, our conduct, our lifestyles be without covetousness. The trap of covetousness is, you know, if I had another car, I'd be happy. Then when you have that car, you know, 2019 model, then you see another car, then you say, wow, You know, it's because it's a red car I have. If I had a blue one, I'll be happy. Then you get the blue one. Then you see another one that's black. Say if only I had the black. And then you get the black. And then after you get the black, you say, okay, if only I had a helicopter. Then you get the helicopter. You say, okay no 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 the reason I'm not yet happy is that I don't have a jet then you get a jet then after you get the jet oh no my jet is not big enough if only I had a bigger jet then you have the bigger jet Then after you have the bigger jet oh no I'm not yet happy if only I had a rocket and I could just you know be the first one I just go to the moon I just go and drop a flag there and say Jesus is Lord and there's nothing wrong with saying Jesus is Lord on the moon but you see that's the trap of covetousness no matter what you have you know you will never be satisfied. But when you remember, the purpose of prosperity is world evangelization. The reason God is bringing money into my hands or wants to bring money into my hands is for the gospel. Yeah, it makes God look good when I look good too. The Bible says He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Right? So God doesn't mind me enjoying stuff. He doesn't mind me enjoying it. But when... My motivation becomes me enjoying it. And I forget about how God wants to be able to pass it through me. So that his work can be done. Then a problem can begin to set in. Let's look at First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 6. This thing about the purpose of prosperity is vital. It's vital. First Timothy chapter 6. I start from verse five. It says, "Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself." You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we preach like the sign of God's approval is that you're prosperous. That the sign, the confirmation—you know—we can take Deuteronomy eight eighteen. God gives us power to get wealth to establish His covenant. And sometimes, we could say one of the nuances of that word establishes confirm his covenant. So we say that wealth is proof of the covenant. Hmm. Be careful how we pull that. And we need to be careful how we stretch that. You know, so if we're not careful, we now see it as that you're wealthy means that God approves of you. And it should be regretted that that's how it's seen in some circles. And that it's a mark of your spirituality. It's a mark of the fact that God is with you. That you are prosperous. So if you are not prosperous God is not with you. And then some people will want people to believe that God is with them. So they will do anything to have money. Yeah. And so that they can call the pastor for the housewarming. So that God will know that the pastor will know that God is with them. You know even though God God maybe far from how they are getting their money. You know, if we're not careful, that's what that's going to do. If we're not careful, we will now start treating people different based on their social status, based on their financial status. The Bible says, has not God chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith, and here's of the world to come? So you see, yes, God can prosper us, and he wants to. But we have to be careful not to get our thinking wrong and to start thinking that gain is godliness. It's a fine line. It is. It's a fine line. A very fine line. You know, a very fine line. Wealth in and of itself is not necessarily a seal of God's approval. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The oil they have in the Middle East then we could say they are the most spiritual people on the earth because of the wealth that they have. But is that the case? So, gain is not godliness. The Bible says this kind of thinking from such people who think like this, who believe like this, it says, withdraw thyself. Verse 6 says, godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and raiment, Let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Is this also in the Bible? It is. And it's part of the prosperity message. And if I'm preaching prosperity, I should preach this also. Because it's part of it. Amen. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Verse 11 says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed the good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus. Who before Pontius Pilate witnessed the good confession? That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. So you see, God doesn't want us to trust in riches. I'll tell you something. There's something about money. There's a security that money gives. The Bible says that the man who doesn't have money, he loses friends. It's in the Bible. The one who has money, everybody wants to be his friend. Yeah. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches so we're not to trust in riches neither are we to love riches our trust should be in god see god wants to bring us so much money hmm, that we need to protect our heart god wants us so rich that look we need to consciously always keep reminding ourselves i'm not to trust in riches i'm not to love riches does he want us prosperous he does but we must have the right perspective we must understand that the purpose of this prosperity is for the cause of christ is for world evangelization now this is where i want to stop he says we are not to trust uh in uncertain riches but in the living god who does what gives us richly all things to enjoy so does god want us to enjoy stuff he does he does he does he does we're going to look some more at um, like i said Today we want to look at the other side of faithful for Finances. And we're going to talk some, quite some, about giving, about tithing, about offerings, about some of those areas. We're going to come in it in light of God's word. And we'll see what God's word ha- has to say about it. But don't forget where we started. What's the purpose of prosperity? It's world evangelization. It's about reaching the lost. Now, does God want us to enjoy? He does. Does God want us to look good? He sure does. He wants us to eat the good of the land. But our love shouldn't be in the riches. Our faith shouldn't be in the riches. Our faith is to be in God. Our love is to be for God and towards people. Our heart is to be towards reaching the lost. See, when we have some of these things in place, then we're in a better place where God can bring a whole lot more in our hands. A metallic grey uh, G- For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.